All right, everybody, we're back for another interview. And this is a good one. I'm excited. It's two of my favorite people. I've had them both on before. And I just appreciate all the work that they do individually and just within the community and within their organizations and all of these things that are happening. And I feel very privileged to be able to have them on as guests and call them my friends. Um, so I'd like to welcome Rosie Sanchez of Defenders of Wildlife and Taiki James of National Audubon. All right, I'm so happy to have them. Today we are talking about unionizing and what's going on in the worlds of conservation organizations where everybody is starting to unionize. And I'm here for this. <laughs> I'm here for this conversation. We're going to kick it off first with um, both Rosie and Taiki talking about their perspective unions, Audubon for All and Defenders United, um, and what's going on, why they're unionizing, what's the current steps, what's, what's next steps, and kind of just breaking it down so everybody can understand um, the importance behind these movements and how to support and moving forward with that. All right, who's going to go first? <laughs> I was getting ready for rock paper scissors. Oh, okay. All right. We both have our ways. We both have our ways. Nose goes. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just, it, I know people can't see it because it's, it's a podcast, but uh, Rosie and I, we made eye contact and she immediately went for rock, paper, scissors, which is a good way to negotiate. But I went with nose goes because I think that was quicker to the point. And nose well. goes wins this time. Well, then, thank you so much, Taiki. I will go first. Oh, my gosh. Um, Sam, thank you so much for having me on once again, and it's always a great time sharing space with you too, Taiki. Um, my name is Rosie Sanchez, she, her, Aya. I am currently in Denver, Colorado. I work for uh, Defenders of Wildlife, and I am in field conservation, so my range is the Rocky Mountains and Great Plains. Uh, we have a couple field offices throughout the United States with our base in D.C., so this is the unionizing process. We went we went live. What is today? The 10th. We went live on uh, July 8th. Um, and I will tell y'all that it has been a labor of love, um, joy. And and to be honest, it's sadness at sometimes. Right. To try to understand um, the ins and outs of unionizing um, and the struggles that we're going to have to face from here on out. Um, our union is called Defenders United. We have been uh, secretly organizing for about a year now. In August will be a year. <laughs> um, and we just went public. Um, it's, it's been interesting. And I, I want to thank Taiki right now for doing this first, <laughs> setting the example, setting the stage, um, because we're now prepared to for the fight and what, what's going to happen from here on out. Our union effort was started after some, <laughs> how do I say this uh, diplomatically? After some, <laughs> 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 you know, how, how do I say this? Um, some unconventional firings um, and some of our senior leadership's hesitancy to move forward with our DEIJ efforts. Mm -hmm. um, we, it felt like the majority of staff was in a place to move forward with our DEIJ efforts um, and wanting to be vocal about how, how to move forward. Uh, the most vocal of us were let go um, after that because Defenders of Wildlife is an at-will employer. 
um, mm. which means you can be let go without any just cause. Mm. Um, it I was don't at like the, that, Rosie. <laughs> yeah, we didn't like that either. And that is why we started, mm. we started playing with the thought of unionizing to protect our workers, to protect ourselves from retaliation. Um, and so that, that, that's the main thing. And also because we all love Defenders of Wildlife, the staff at, on the organizing committee and the entire bargaining unit, the bargaining unit, it means people who are eligible to be in the union. Um, this is, once again, this is a labor of love from all of us. We all love working for Defenders. We love the mission and the vision of the organization. And we've done a lot of beautiful and wonderful work. Sam, I think that we, the last time I interviewed you, we, we were part of a huge campaign to get wolves restored to Colorado. Yeah. The first time in 80 years after they were eradicated. We love the work we do. Mm-hmm. We're, we're proud of who we are. Um, and we just want to make the workplace better. We want to be, we want to feel safe, seen and respected. So that's, that's where it all started from, from us. So I will get off my soapbox and I will pass it on over to Taiki um, for his introduction. Before we move on, I love a soapbox, stay on your soapbox all the time. Um, I live on mine, but I want to say to everybody out there listening who doesn't have the pleasure of knowing Rosie the way that I know Rosie, I can vouch for the fact that if, if, if she is vouching for her coworkers' passion behind everything, I know this woman is the one of the most passionate people that I've ever met when it comes to conservation and animals and just like um, equity as well. And so like that is that that statement, Rosie does not go, I don't think lightly that people in these these positions, including yourself, right, um, are are extremely dedicated to the work and that that's this I feel like this really and with Audubon too this huge reason to unionize because people don't want to walk away from these jobs yeah because of some some bullshit right and so like that that's I I feel that a hundred percent so I just wanted to acknowledge that for both of y'all sorry Taiki I didn't mean to cut you off no not a problem I I I really appreciate you putting this into context because this may be for a lot of people the first time that they're hearing about a nonprofit unionizing, mm-hmm. let alone an environmental nonprofit unionizing, let alone a wildlife conservation environmental <laughs> nonprofit unionizing. Mm-hmm. And so it may come across initially as weird, but the permeance of the issues that come from an imbalance of power have affected the environmental movement since the beginning, has affected, you know, progressive movements, well-meaning white people included movements for a very, very long time. And that imbalance of power goes into decision-making in environmental nonprofits. And some of that decision, a lot of that decision-making doesn't happen with consent from the workers. Uh, The folks who are uh, doing the work of advancing the mission, executing the mission day in, day out, on weekends, on holidays, at the center, on site, in the neighborhoods, in communities, you know, and I think that this imbalance of power, uh, where uh, that imbalance is saturated by the wealth that that contributes to the folks who run the nonprofits, getting the most money from running the nonprofits, and, and while justifying the, um, lowest wage for workers or the lack of health care for full-time interns and fellows like 
things that just don't make sense. Now, uh, to speak specifically about how Audubon got here, Audubon for all. So we, last year, pandemic, March, here we go, two rounds of layoffs over the past year. And, and, and those layoffs happened during the heat of the pandemic where the first round was on Earth Day. So you had folks the day before preparing the materials to go virtual, to do the distance, to do like Earth Day related material, even though society is falling apart. You had folks getting ready to do that just to hear as soon as they go up to work and they probably showed up early that morning because it's Earth Day. They got to show up a little earlier for work to help set up just to be told you've been terminated. You've been let go. You've been laid off. Sign this NDA so you can keep your benefits. Oh my gosh. And then keep keep going. Keep, keep, keep going about your day. And so like me hearing about those stories directly and indirectly, mostly indirectly, it's like it, it brings true. It brings it brings a lot of truth to that reality of worrying about retaliation, worrying about your job security. And I and I uh, personally worry about retaliation in my efforts to advance important EDI work in my efforts to advance and integrate anti-racist workplace policies. I'm also worried about losing my job. I don't think that makes sense. If my organization says it wants to be anti-racist, well, then it should listen to the workers. I don't know how we achieve anti-racism by perpetuating inequities, by perpetuating the imbalance of power. I think if we know better, we should do better. Mm -hmm. And we have also long endured a, a, a history of racial and gender disparities and compensation and opportunities for career advancement. So knowing that if you speak out against that, again, that makes you a target for retaliation. I think a union can, can address a lot of this. Not only does the process that, that, you know, Rosie and I will talk about more that we're going through build the sense of empowerment in workers, it also gives workers buy-in and a seat at the table when we're talking about these big decisions about raises, about pay cuts, about layoffs, about the budget. And it's not something that's left up to chance or left up to the manager lottery where, you know, if you have a good manager, they can, they can meet you halfway. They can help you out. But if you have a manager that <laughs> doesn't care so much, then, you know, your work experience is based off of what they're dictating for you. And I just think that we can find a better way to have a workforce, to have a workplace when we're trying to address the exploitation of natural resources, we cannot ignore the exploitation of human resources. Beautifully put, Tiki. <laughs> just trying out here. It's really distressing for me to hear that, like, which I'm not surprised by any means, but that there's so much uh, fear of retaliation around equity work and then also retaliation that happens around people who are very much vocalizing and calling out and calling in the work and people who aren't doing it and like all of that, that to me is really, um, again, I'm not surprised, but that really makes me mad. Like it really is upsetting that like at the end of the day, people just wanna do their job. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know, when you're there at your job, 
that you care about, that you're passionate about, whatever your title is, whatever your work is, that's what you're there to do. And then at the end of the day, pushing forward or wanting to change a culture in, inside of an organization to allow for your job to be better or allow for your job to reach more people or to have bring more people in. How is that bad? You know what I mean? Mm. How is that something to um, fire somebody over? Mm-hmm. How is that something to um, silence your workers over or or just not do? Because ultimately at the end of the day, it supports the organization and then it supports specifically movements within environmentalism. The more people you get on board to care about the world, then thus you save the world. Like, I don't get it. And so anyway, I feel like we'll get into that a little bit later, but like, that's, that's the, the idea that is bothering me so, so much right now amongst everything else of just uh, letting go people on earth day is really wild. Like from, mm-hmm. from, an, from, the, from the Audubon's. Mm. And you know, the second round of layoffs happened after a really cryptic email from our then CEO that was like, we're going to be laying off a certain number of people your managers will know and then they'll let you know and it's going to happen within the next couple of weeks and i'm like excuse me yeah. like what you just go send out an email saying some of y'all are just gonna lose your jobs in the middle of the summer bye. in the middle of the pandemic uh, lol bye like what <laughs> taiki can i ask if there was any justification or was it just this is the budget I, I it was like three kinds of justifications where they were just like it's budgetary it's it's merit-based and then you know, and then they were like, we are ensuring you that we're not laying off people with any type of inequity. We're not disproportionately laying off any person who identifies but black, indigenous or people of color. We're not doing this based on gender. Like, you know, they they were to assure us in the email that they were doing the right thing while they were doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. So it's like, keep in mind, too, the decision to lay off employees happen in concurrence with the decision to not freeze pay raises for the executives and the pay raises the pay raises for the executives were justified because if we don't pay them if we don't give them their raises or if we give them a pay cut that will hurt their morale and they'll leave they'll go to another organization and it's really expensive to rehire an executive all of most of them left most of them have left the organization with their raises when the 990s come out all right, for the 99 in the 2000s, really for the 990s. <laughs> um, but check the 990s. That's where your nonprofit has to put who makes the most and tell the government it's public information. Um, when we see the 990s, we'll we'll see if if we're right that those executives took their pay raises while employees got laid off and and then found their next job. You know, with all of that being said, so it was it was really. It, it was like so much cognitive dissonance of like, we can't hurt employees, so we're going to have to hurt employees. And it was like, wait a minute. There were, there were workers that were willing to take pay cuts. There were workers that were willing to take pay freezes to keep their other staff at their center in their office with them for a little longer, even if it was part. Like, there was just so much room to negotiate, but we were told no. I think if we had a union, that would have been preventable. Mm. Mm. I have thoughts and opinions. I don't know if I want to get too much into this. I still have not, I have yet to like 
decide if I really want to call out the organization that I used to work for because a lot of this sounds super familiar and I just like doesn't it doesn't it you know Mm. and I'm just like hmm another nonprofit uh conservation wildlife organization and you know what really baffles me is this idea of of (laughs) of it's the budget it's the budget but I'm just sitting here like okay but then you hired, a, you made a position. This is the organization I used to, okay. Everybody knows, I, I, y'all know who I'm talking about. Anyway, you made up a position. You created a position during a budget deficit for a COO and pay that person six figures, but we're in a budget deficit and you can't pay me to do my job. Well, really? Oh, okay. So you would rather people quit. Anyway, I just, oh man, I just like, that makes me so mad. And I just feel like they're in a place now where their, their executive director left. Um, Thank goodness that needed to happen. Um, And they're looking for a new one. And I'm just like, all right. And I'm, you know, in, in communicado with a lot of people who are still there past present people. Um, and I was just like, look, if y'all don't get the, de- the executive director that is going to come in and do everything that needs to happen, then y'all need to unionize. <laughs> That's how I feel about it. And that is because of y'all. So everyone should unionize, Sam. Yeah, right, 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 right. Don't let it, don't leave it the chance. No, I just start. Just I, I'm not a part of that organization anymore. Yeah. And it's just, it's really, it's just really upsetting because like, you know, I just feel like there's a lot of similarities between, um, and I and I think a lot of people can say the same thing, who work for nonprofit, environmental conservation, what you know, wildlife conservation. It's just very very similar, and then some, right? Even outside that scope, um, and so I think that as y'all are talking, I'm just like, dang, I. I do want to recognize that y'all are um, setting an example and and paving the way for um, other people to start like doing things for themselves and actually start doing the, the, the work it takes to make the change that we all want to see. So thank you. (laughs) I think there's something in that Sam with the surprise factor, you know, the surprise factor that we both work for environmental organizations that are unionizing and have these power dynamic struggles that we're all unionizing around, right? I think that the story is you're you're an environmental organization that's doing so much for the world, there mustn't be anything wrong, right? You're Mm. up against big oil, you're up against timber, you're up against all this bullshit, my apologies, and you, it, it should be good on the inside, right? You're, you're fighting the good fight, but that's where that duality comes in. It's, it's all face. And just because we're a part of environmental organizations doesn't mean that it's all good, right? And I think that that's, that's what's been surprising about the environmental movement coming forward um, with the unionizing process. And what's even more surprising from Taikis and my organization is that we support legislate, legislation from legislators that are pro-union. And yet our board of directors and our executive teams don't want to recognize our unions. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a duality and there's some hypocrisy in that as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's, it, 
to that point, adding to bullshit, which I have to say, there there are anti-climate manure lobbies, so we're working against them too. <laughs> it is. We're also working against bullshit. That is correct. Um, <laughs> it is also interesting that in the effort to seek voluntary recognition, which means Rosie in the Defenders of Wildlife and Taiki at Audubon, we're talking to our employees. We're we're signing union authorization cards that we want a third party that us in management can both agree to. Our third party was Senator Ed Markey, senior senator from Massachusetts, uh, also known as the lead sponsor of the Green New Deal in the Senate. He understands how labor and environmental progress are tied. He counted our cards. He counted that we had a strong majority. That 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 level of confirmation, unless you think Ed Markey is lying, I feel like it would be the right move to recognize us. Unfortunately, yes, you know, we we unlike other environmental nonprofits that have unionized, um, you know, Sierra Club, for an example, with one, they they organized with um, PWU. Yep. Progressive Workers Union. Uh, we the Sunrise Movement also. Uh, the ACLU has unionized 350.org, the Center for Biological. Oh, I mean, oops, am I not? Is that yeah, public? you can. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Oh, thank God. They got volunteers. <laughs> they got volunteers. Oh, yeah, yeah, within like, like eight hours. They were. Oh, yeah. oh bad. So that's yeah. the thing. Like, we're realizing we can do this. And there are folks who have been voluntarily recognized. And obviously, that's a huge accomplishment. That's a great milestone, because it shows that the leaders of those organizations are ready to listen to the workers. Because the next step, Rosie and I, that are we're looking at is after the NLRB process, because we couldn't be voluntarily recognized, they refused to listen to a majority of their workers. We still have a long, not a long, but we still got a ways to go before we get to the contract negotiations. Those organizations that have been voluntarily recognized, I look forward to seeing the progress of their uh, bargaining negotiations. You know, I look forward to seeing them pave the way in showing what proper wages look like for the environmental workforce, especially on the entry level, especially on the technical side, you know, where often I hear that that is our lowest hourly wage skills while also requiring these technical backgrounds that don't exist anywhere else, but are so essential. Like it's so essential, but we're not willing to pay for it. So it will, I, I look forward to seeing how, you know, those, those other uh, unionizing efforts show what can be in a contract. Mm -hmm. One thing I wanted to like highlight, underscore bold, italicize, that's a word today, um, is I want to point out to everybody again. So I think that the process of unionizing is complicated and I don't really understand a lot of the technical verbiage. And so I want to really highlight what you just said, Taiki, about um, when you all went to your you know, executive teams with the majority of your workers wanting to unionize because X, Y, Z reasons they did not voluntarily recognize that. So that's that, that kind of technical verbiage, right? Um, and I wanna just, again, what you said was they refused to listen to the majority of workers. 
needs and wants and desires, right? And so that to me is really important to, to really take that technical stuff out and really put it in this, this, this uh, language that um, to me is a little bit more uh, hard hitting for me is like, hey, these people did not wanna listen to their workers and this is the exact reason why we're unionizing. And that's really, um, pow pow that is a power move. And also um, I feel like when I hear it that way, it's powerful to know that um, they just aren't like, why? But like, why, you know, why not? Yeah. Why, what is the big deal? What is the big deal? Honestly, quite, what's the big deal? What do y'all think? Cause that's the, I don't understand. I don't get it. What's the problem? Well, it is, I will speak to an Eni article that came out about Defenders of Wildlife um, a couple of weeks ago before our announcement for unionizing, addressing the culture of fear and the redistribution of power and mm. power hoarding mm -hmm. um, at Defenders of Wildlife. Um, I will say that most of our executive team um, are white individuals. Um, and I will say that I cannot 100% put down what their reasoning is because I don't know them. And it would be, it would be lovely to understand their, their process of how they're thinking and why this is so hard for them. Um, but I, I will say that the core of a lot of these types of issues is redistribution of power. Um, and I will leave it at that. <laughs> you you like, can leave it at that because again, you know, I'll just leave it at that. I mean, because that's really when when you when you when we get into what's happening with Audubon too, like that whole statement from Morgan Lewis literally came back saying, "Well, here's what was substantiated. Here's what we couldn't substantiate. What we didn't think was, and with all of this, we still think y'all need to redistribute your power, and that I feel like you know is like a big issue here within a lot of different levels of like not only um the inability to 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 even hear what people need if you're like just like that accessibility right if you're in a a pyramid of power right and your your neediest people in your organization are on the bottom how are they supposed to communicate their needs to the person who can't actually make those changes in a way that they feel heard they feel seen and that then happens then when you throw in equity work, right? Mm -hmm. With your people at the top being white, male, cis, het, right? It's uh, it's really uh, it's really an issue. And I feel like it was really for me reading that Morgan Lewis uh, document was uh, interesting. I really was concerned going into it, but then I was like, oh, okay, um, mm -hmm. that's a great, uh, recommendation because that's what a lot of places should be doing in general uh because this idea of a uh, uh like uh what am i saying unilateral power is that what i want to say okay thank you should be everywhere because don't we know by now that like one person or two people in charge doesn't work don't we know that by now you know what i mean it doesn't right. well okay it works for them yeah but it doesn't work for anybody else. And so I think um, that's a big, 
I don't want to get anybody in trouble. So y'all don't have to comment. I can't because I don't work for none of these places, but I feel like that's a big problem. And it's like, if you don't want to give up and that's why, you know, it's, it's interesting that these executive directors are also leaving um, because those are the people that hold the most power. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that, you know, whether or not they get forced out, choose to leave or get forced to choose to leave. Um, I, if, yeah, anyway, I'm gonna just stop there and let y'all continue because I'm not, I have so many things in my head about all this. Well, on the on the Morgan Lewis investigation, yes. um, and their in their soon findings, I have to say it was it was quite the Bob Mueller <laughs> like like reaction at the end of the day, where it's just like I knew you weren't gonna like save us. Like Morgan Lewis was not gonna save no. us, right? But like could they give Congress enough to impeach? <laughs> you know, like, was it enough to impeach? But then Bob Mueller was always like, it's not my job to say y'all should impeach or not. So that's, that was some of my reaction to it personally. Yeah. But to speak to, yes, the first recommendation, the number one recommendation, mm-hmm. changes in leadership and workplace structure. Mm-hmm. A union will fundamentally change workplace structure so that we are not holding on to the idea of one great leader to solve all of these problems, one great leader to understand all these perspectives and make the right decision. No, we're unionizing so that we can make a more democratic process and not rely on a benevolent authoritarian to be the next leader of this environmental movement that is not only so important to current folks that are alive, like we can pass important environmental policy right now and save lives, but for the future generations yet to come that are going to be looking at this story and wondering why didn't they listen to a majority of their workers in the first place? It's so, it's baffling to me because they literally like, the hypocrisy and the, the like, 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 just moving around all of this stuff that I feel Audubon and I'm interested to see what comes out with with uh, defenders over the next couple of weeks as well. But when when Audubon, when all of that stuff came out in, pol- in Politico, they hired Morgan and Lewis, which was questionable in the first place to hire that right. organ- that law firm specifically that has ties to Trump, all that stuff. And I really am like, did you not, did you think that they weren't going to come back and, and say, listen to your employees and read, like, what do you, like, what, what did they think was going to happen? I really didn't think that, that Morgan Lewis was going to come back with that. And so I'm surprised. And then, so that just, then they, they're like further digging themselves into a grave of, of being called out for not doing the things that the union is calling for it to begin with, which is just right. listen to us and, and do redistribute that power. And mm-hmm. so by being recommended to do that by Morgan and Lewis and then denying or not re- recognizing the union is such a, it's a combative thing. And it's just really- 100%. It's, it's really anti-unions wild. do that. Yeah. It's really And, and Rosie, at, at Defenders, did y'all have a statement come out after the insurrection about the importance of democracy? Nothing. About how it's- Nothing? No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we did not. Oh, okay. Well, no, but what's interesting is that I think a lot of a lot of the one of the main reasons why we decided to unionize, and this is public knowledge in the press release, right? Is that uh the Avarna group that was leading our EDI training 
um, to take us towards more equitable defenders, um, fired defenders, um, because there was some, (laughs) and that was our, that was our third attempt at, um, at a consultant, at an EDI consultant, um, and they fired defenders. Um, and there was a lot of ups, people were upset about that, right? Um, because we thought that we were trying to make progress and we made statements on BLM. We had made statements about George Floyd. We had started to make all these sentiments on social media and in our press releases. Um, and then when it came down to it, um, the implementation of the plan was not agreed upon um, with senior leadership um, mm-hmm. to move forward. So there's there's a disconnect with that. Um, so no, we did not make a public statement. I don't. I do not believe that we made a public statement on insurrection. No, no, we did not. And democracy, but we did on Black Lives Matter, the murder of George Floyd, and how to move forward. So which was, you know, EDI was one of our main reasons why we wanted to mm-hmm. unionize because of the inequalities that we were seeing with our BIPOC employees as well. And, and it seems like, you know, reading from the e e article, the Arvana group also concluded in, in probably deep agreeance with you about the lack of transparency, 100%. accountability, and trust in human resources. The yes. thing that most people say, oh, you should go to them if you ever have a problem. Human resources is not for you. If you're the worker, it's not for you. It's for the organization. It's for the organization. And for the Arvana group to basically break up with y'all because they're just like, y'all are way too toxic. Like, I can't. It's I. This is a journey that <laughs> that has to, like, be written by the workers. Like, I, I would imagine as bad as that is to have that be like, that's what's happening to defenders. People are looking at that. I'm sure it's a little bit empowering to kind of see that like the destiny, the future of the organization is actually in the hands of the workers the whole time. Definitely. It was, it's also really reassuring to see that the e article that came out um, from middle management at Defenders, it spurred from a letter talking about the toxic work environment and the culture of fear that all spurred from the Avarna group. So that's middle management and people who are not, mm eligible to be in the union, right? And they are they feel this as well. So it's not just people that are being paid that are, you know, entry level or middle of their career. It's middle management and directors and supervisors that are doing this, that see it as well. So it's not just the 75% because we have 75% on board with the union. It is not just 75% of the bargaining unit, but it is middle management and supervisors and directors that see that there needs to be change within this organization. And it hasn't come in in the past three, with the past three consultants that we hired, where is it going to come from? And it's going to come from us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I hope somebody played like a round of applause, a standing ovation. (laughs) I know how to do that now. So Mm. I might put it in there. there I was thinking that I was like, oh, I was going to ask you, Taiki, do you work on the hill? Yes, I do. Okay. My job. Oh, I didn't you really introduce myself, did I? Uh, so my my uh, yeah, Taiki James. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I work for the National Audubon Society, and I'm not speaking on behalf of the Audubon Society. In fact, everything you hear is not representative of the views of the National Audubon Society or the Defenders of Wildlife. Or if, the Defenders of Wildlife. Yes, oh, I'm. Yeah, like, I just like if we could just throw that in there. 
So I am in my, not my free time, but in my nine to five time, I'm the coordinator of government affairs. So I organize bird walks with members of Congress and congressional staff on the Hill. And actually, if you look up a roll call article, they did a highlight of my first bird walk of the decade. My last bird walk was in 2019, broke my ankle in 2020, pandemic, insurrection, 2021 later, the first bird walk happened on June 4th. And that was also Black Birders Week. So look up that roll call article. And that's basically my job. Talk about birds, tell some jokes, go home. Um, and I love that job. It's a pretty sweet job. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty sweet job. I would like the idea that I could be protected in that. You know, like right? I like the idea that like, I'm not going to face retaliation for trying to make sure good work happens at a good workplace. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Like what's wrong. <laughs> and there shouldn't be anything wrong with me realizing the crumbs that you give me, I don't need to be grateful for. I should be actually recognized. I, the worker should be recognized for being responsible for the feast that you have for you even to pass crumbs off the table. Like it's the workers that made that feast. Mm. Why aren't we getting a bigger piece of the pie an equal Mm. piece of the pie? That's all we're asking for. And if that is a threat, it makes sense why you would undermine our power, but we have it. And it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. It's a matter of when at Audubon. It's a matter of when at Defenders. It's a matter of when at all the other organizations where we're seeing this happen. And I'm really proud of it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's about time. It's about time. And a, a common, you know, a, con, a common union busting tactic is mm-hmm. unions are made, they're made and they're going to break your relationships that you have. They're going to create turmoil within the organization. We're a big family. We work together. Mm. Unions are going to, they're going to harm that relationship that we work so hard to build together. And here's the thing. Once again, this is a labor of love that we've created for the organization. We love the organization we work with. And that's why we're trying to make it better. We offered we offered to work with executive leadership on making this place a better place to work for everyone, not just those at the top, not just those who history shows serves the most, right? For everyone. We invited them to sit at the table that we built so that way we can move together towards a more equitable, just, and beautiful defenders. We, mm. we invited them to that table and they slapped our hand within three hours, said, we will not recognize your union. And then sent, and then an E and E said, "We are, we are taking time to deliberate. We are, we are exploring our options." But then sent an email to the to the organizing committee, say, "We will not recognize your union as the sole union." I was like, "I, I don't even know what that means." And, and with seventy five percent of us, it just there's a lot of conflicting messages. And when there's conflicting messages, there's no trust that can be built from that. And it just seems like they're scrambling. We offered them a way to move forward, but they said no. It's we're we're not trying to divide our organization. We're trying to bring it together. Ain't that funny? That language of when when I I kind of akin that to this. Um, I'll say because it's not new, but re-energized conversation around racism in this country and how when all people of color are talking about is 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 um 
having a seat at the table. Some of us are over here talking about building a whole new table, but ultimately we just want to have this equal, you know, seat at the table, but then somehow that's a threat, like you were saying, Taiki. And then somehow that starts to divide uh, an, an America that's been so connected based on what? Who's actually connected? Who's actually a part of this family? Who's who's a stepchild and who's the, you know what I mean? Like who, I don't, uh, that, that like use of language bothers me because it translates into so many different facets of what is actually wrong in our society as a whole. And that just the things that y'all have brought up here, um, I wrote down some stuff, uh, imbalance of power, Let's look at that. Let's 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 uh, put a put a put that in a macro lens, right? Where is that imbalance of power seen in all of what we're dealing with in society right now? Retaliation fears. I don't. Know, I'm not going to get into that. So, and then just refusal, absolute refusal to move equity efforts forward. This is like the ideas that are happening on these on these on your individual uh, organizational scales are just it's not um it's not new it's not um uh something that only y'all are facing or only only conservation organizations are facing this is a direct reflection of the issues at hand in our society and how things are structured and built. And so when you ask to rebuild something, people don't know what that looks like and they become scared because what happens is, is those people who built it don't it will no longer have that power, right? And it is all about power at the end of the day. And it's just really, it baffles me again, again, I will say, because I don't understand it because you holding all the power at the top you one person, you two people, however many people it is, doesn't do anything for, for the efforts that you claim to love and have passion about for why you're working at these organizations to begin with. You have passions for, uh, but for lack of a better word, saving the, the world, then this is how you do it. You have to include others. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? You can't do, anyway. So I just, I don't know. I just wanted to point that out too, that, that these things are not um, uh, an, an issue within conservation. This is a direct result, direct reflection of larger issues at hand in America that I think we are all in different ways having to come to terms with. And if y'all got to build your own table, build your own table. I'm here for it. How can we support y'all? <clears throat> well, I wouldn't say it. it's more scary to me. It's more scary to accept things the way they are, do nothing about it, and hope that everything will be okay. Mm -hmm. that's, that's scary to me. Yeah. For me, that's scary because I don't, there's nothing that makes sense about that. That mm -mm. creates cognitive dissonance. That creates anxiety. That creates fear. That, that concept. And I'm angry about that. But I'm also fearless now. Because I get to work with the most powerful people at the organization, the workers. And I get to be yes. a part of this movement of people power. Mm -hmm. That makes a difference. I can be fearless because of that. And I hope folks that are thinking about signing a card with Defenders or Audubon or wherever you are, if you're thinking about signing that card, think about what that means to have some power 
in the organization, to, to change the role of power in the organization and be a part of that. You're welcome to that. To hear anybody say that you are not entitled to the product of your work, the, the harvest of your labor, to hear anybody say that, they want you to feel inferior. Mm-hmm. Don't listen to that. Mm-hmm. You can find power in your coworkers. You can find power in people, not institutions or long-worded emails. <laughs> Let me stop. Let me stop. <laughs> what you can do to help. <laughs> what you can do to help. Because <laughs> I'm about to get a liberation. Let me say this. Let me say this. Liberation, whether it's through labor or through environmental progress, requires us to address the imbalance of power in both of those movements. It requires us to address moving at the pace of white comfort. We are done moving at the pace of white comfort. There was a black guy in jail that wrote about moving at the pace of white comfort. Mm-hmm. Y'all like to quote him a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's take a lesson from that letter. Let's address that. Because when we're trying to reimagine what an equitable, diverse, justice-centered, inclusive organization looks like, no one has seen that before. Nobody has seen that before. And that might make you a little uncomfortable. That's okay. I'm a little uncomfortable. I wish that they would just recognize us. I'd be a lot more comfortable. (laughs) Be a lot better if they did. Right. But we have to know that the world that we're seeking, there have been intentional barriers to seeing that. And it means something to take power from these big institutions, from these big names, from where it has been historically concentrated. It means a lot to take power from that and say, we, the people have it. We, the workers, have it. And the next chapter of this organization is going to be written by the workers. Rosie, when so Taiki said that in um, this a, a different interview um, during Black Birders Week that we're moving at the pace of white comfort. And Rosie said, <gasps> she got taken <laughs> aback by that. And I was like, yes, I know, Rosie, right? Because it's true. It's true. And like that, that to me, this all boils down to um, white supremacy and all of these different facets of how it shows up in, in America and um, not just as Taiki says, not dealing with it anymore and not moving when we're trying to undo these things, not essentially not centering white white fragility at the end of the day because that's that's what's in my opinion which is not a direct reflection of defenders of wildlife or audubon (laughs) (laughs) thank you thank you (laughs) this is a direct reflection of always be burdened podcast um (laughs) that that's what (laughs) that's what's holding uh these people back is white fragility at the end of the day um because we can be we can talk around it, but at the end of the day, those in power are white. Um, those in power are being forced to deal with internalized racism and everything else that comes with that. And they, it is so much easier for people to, as you had said before, Taiki, just wait 
and see what happens rather than address that stuff in them because um, of all these psychology things that I don't want to get into. But I think that that's, that's what we're dealing with at the end of the day is, is, is challenging white supremacy in all of its structural forms um, and not knowing what it looks like. Who cares? That's a blank slate. Let's like, let's rebuild it, right? And we're, we as people of color, as black indigenous brown folks ain't dealing with this no more. We're not moving at your pace anymore. Sorry about it. And so if that looks like building a union, that's what it looks like. You know what I mean? And so you can either be about it or you're going to get about it because mm. it's going to happen eventually, whatever, however it goes down, like you can either jump on board, make it easier for yourself, or then like, we're going to make you be about it. And so that's really where we're at. And that's, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I do. I do want to just recall what Taiki said about fear and the mm -hmm. fearlessness that comes with being a part of the larger majority. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, what's the most disheartening thing to see um, is people in positions of power um, acting out of fear and the fear of losing power. And these are people who have fought so hard for the environment in the past, and they're scared of letting go of that power. How sad that must be to not, that individual Western white way of thinking of individualism, mm -hmm. right? When we're coming from a different perspective of community. Mm -hmm. And that's what all, both, all three of our cultures know is community, mm -hmm. right? And so to see, to see senior leadership act in this very individual, white, centrist, power hoarding way is just really disheartening because I feel, I just like what Taiki said, I feel fearless knowing that there's the 75% of people in the organization backing me. Uh -huh. I mean, I'm gonna run my mouth no matter what, and y'all know that, but right. at least I have, <laughs> now, now we're public. <laughs> Right. And now we have 75% of the people who, who validate what I'm saying, who, who, who validate what I've been feeling. And what's feel that percentage? 75%. 75% y'all. 75%. It's, we're moving forward towards a brighter future. And it's so, it's really sad um, and embarrassing for them. Uh, to hold on to fear so, so much uh, when the, when that's what our environmental movement is made, is built upon, right? The future. Why are we working so hard for these conservation efforts so that people in the future can see what we see, that can behold what, what we, what we have, you know, it's, it just feels like hypocrisy all around. Um, but I'm not living in fear. I let go of that when I, when I let go of where we, where we work together, Sam, I let go of that. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I'm just excited for what this is going, what's going to happen tomorrow, you know, cause we're going to win just like what Taiki said. It's not if, but when once again, 75% more cards are being signed as we speak as well. I mean, there's no other way. There's no other way. No. And that's too, I, when, um, when we, Rosie, were working at that place, um, I love that because both of us have let go of that fear and look what we're doing. Mm. 
so when you let go of all of that fear and and also just like you know um i started to talk about this with taiki before that internalized racism those internalized um, built-in ways of uh, enabling and participating in supremacist culture that we're all indoctrinated with when you realize and you're like hold up wait a minute we're not doing this no more then <laughs> yeah exactly i'm out on the plate we're not doing that <laughs> let me regroup and then let me uh uh figure out how to get that community because that is um always and has always been for folks of color that driving power and that's what intimidates white people for like at the end of the day because they don't understand it they don't know what it feels like to have that many people back you in that way and mm. and taiki when when rosie said you know that 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 there's that collective power you went like this and all i had was like nuck if you but wow <laughs> right. <laughs> like, i'm like <laughs> listen i'm still from Philly. I don't care what anybody say. I'm still from Philly. And like, I'm not trying to say anything crazy, but all I'm saying is like, I just got Philly's tendencies in me. You know what I'm saying? Uh -huh. Like, sometimes I just uh -huh. like the Philly, like, all right, let's do this. Like, that's what we about to do. Like, yes. And then I was like, okay. And then another sign that came in my head was like, I don't know, Rosie, you were like, um, because we're going to win. And I was like, all I do is win, 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 no matter what. <laughs> I was like, let, let me. Let me figure out how to put these tracks in this when I put this out because I feel like, <laughs> but it's true. I just, uh, I feel very um, proud to know both of y'all and proud of what y'all are doing with your community, proud of your community as well within your perspective organizations for um, standing up for themselves, the, the organization and, and the communities outside the organization that y'all serve. Um, and I, I'm sorry that y'all are going through this. Like it's, it's. I think individually, um, just as individual human beings, I'm sure that it takes a toll to, to really have this passion and really fight for something and be a part of something and then just hit all these roadblocks at every turn. Like, I'm sure that that sucks, you know? Um, but I think that there's a lot of us out here that are, behind y'all as well not just only in your organization but out here on the outskirts you know I got y'all's back for sure I don't know that we actually got into how people can actually support um <laughs> it <was just> a... <laughs> oh yeah I don't know what happened I started yeah, screaming it started talking about screaming. it I was punching my fist I got excited I don't you know there was a lot there was but a lot. I do want to talk about like um a call out to folks for those of y'all who have who maybe are just hearing about this for the first time or are hearing about this for a deeper time you know what I mean um and want to continue to support because you believe in um, dismantling white supremacy in the world. Um, so how can, how can, how can they, uh, help y'all out at, at your perspective organizations? Let me say first, Sam, you don't have to apologize on behalf of the environmental organizations that have been doing <laughs> this to us. You don't girl. Actually, I want to apologize to you because I'm sorry that I haven't worked sooner to make sure that the environmental field is ready for our kind of ideas, for people like us, specifically for women like you that are leaders, that step up, that speak out. And I really hope that the work that this does 
makes an environmental workforce, makes an environmental future that is more inclusive and recognizes its success. Because all movements, all great movements in this country, at least, have been born and have been sustained and have been successful because of Black women. And it, it means a lot if we can achieve something that makes it better for them. Mm-hmm. my opinion you can make me cry because I think you know one thing that I forgot to say too is because like you know oh, dang I don't want to cry Whew, I'm still dealing with Portland out of our shit damn I know I've cried on podcast but I think you know it's it's I said this in the beginning of this episode of like at the end of the day people have a lot of passion for what they do y'all damn I'm gonna cry it's okay And, you know, people don't want to leave. And that's what happened to me at Rosie in positions that we had a lot of passion for um, because of all of the things that y'all are fighting for. It's just like not listening, um, intimidation, racism, sexism, all this stuff. And so, yeah, if we can like set these examples for how organizations can change that, then yeah, you're not you're not forcing people who have that passion and that drive to make their job or their position or whatever it is they're doing in the community and within their organization better walk away from that because then what are you you're filling that position with what like somebody who isn't as passionate like I don't I don't understand it just like and and I think for the listeners too like I've talked about my experience obviously I'm still dealing with it right it was traumatizing. And so this is why it's important because um, not only on a larger scale of breaking down these systems, but individuals are being affected by these power dynamics. Um, and so I appreciate that techie you that made me cry, <laughs> but I'm okay with it because I, I'm here for being, um, vulnerable all day every day but I do appreciate that always be birding always be vulnerable <laughs> yes you know always be making progress always be unionizing um, yeah. I appreciate you a lot Sam and you know for the folks out there that are looking to help that are motivated to move to help Audubon one of the things you can do is sign a petition which will be in the podcast description I'm sure I'm going to send it to Sam um, yes <laughs> and and fun fact We've reached 10,000 signatures already, oh. and we sent that to our interim CEO, Dr. Gray, to get her to reconsider and recognizing us, and she hasn't. So maybe instead of 10,000, maybe 20,000 more will help her out, will help us out, help her out, help the organization, help the movement. So uh, the petition will be there. We want to keep getting those numbers up to show that there's a lot of people that want to see Audubon be successful. And they want to see Audubon's success written by the workers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sam, I, I love you immensely. <laughs> um, and in the work that, uh, I feel like in the work that the three of us do, we're just, we're out here trying to create a better future for BIPOC coming into the environmental field. I know that's my, that's, that's the old, I'm okay to take this trauma yeah. and to take this workload on. Yes. If the next Miha from me is going to grow up in a better in a better conservation field and in a better environmental field. Um, but it's not fair that it had to happen to all of us, right? It's not fair that we had to do this shit. Mm-hmm. But 
we are better from our ancestors, mm-hmm. right? We are. And we're living ancestors right now, doing the damn thing mm-hmm. for those that come after us. Mm-hmm. What you can do to support Defenders United, if y'all want to write a letter of support, um, f- feel free to send it to defendersunited2021 at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at defenders underscore staff. I'll write all this down. Okay. I was like panicking. I was like, I gotta write this down. Um, Right. Well, we're probably going to follow in Taiki and Audubon for all's footsteps and start a petition. So look, I was about to talk to you. I'm like, after we get off this podcast, let's talk (laughs) tactics because like, Taiki came, came at me on Thursday. He's like, okay, now let's A, B, C. I'm like, yes. Um, but that's that's what y'all can do right now. We're sen- we we filed for an LN- NLRB election on Friday morning. Um, since our CEO and president Jamie Rappaport Clark would not recognize our union, um, so we have forty five days until our election, um, as per the NLRB board. So we will keep y'all updated on what you can do. Catch us doing interviews, um, talking to the media, and every day trying to get our CEO and president to change her mind because this is for the betterment of our organization. And just as much as we love this organization, we know that she does too. So, and this is what's going to make the organization better. So um, you can ask her, direct ask to ask her to let go of her fear and accept what's inevitable. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I'm going to do a call out as well. Call in. I'm calling in all white folks that listen to this podcast. What can y'all do besides this stuff? Again, all of this stuff is rooted in white supremacy and you as an individual can help move these movements along easier and and have it extend far into the future by undoing your white supremacy inside you. Learn, pick up a book, undo that stuff. So when you get in these positions that there's not that fear inside when these changes start happening, that's my call in to y'all. All right, y'all on that. I'm all, I'm over here still crying and tearing up. I'm we, we got to wrap it up. <laughs> I can't cry no more. I appreciate both of y'all so, so much. Um, and I will definitely put all of the links and all of the um, social medias in the description. And when I post on Instagram and all of that fun, jazzy stuff and I look forward to a a better, brighter, community-based future uh, in all facets. And I I respect both of y'all as workers uh, in your field and as friends. So thank you so much for being here today. Thanks, Sam. Thank you so much, Sam. And Rosie, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure, y'all.